Greetings, greetings, and still more greetings, best and brightest. I am Jay Severin. This is Invasion of the Giant Pod Pundit number 61. Democrat debate. Status quo anti-American. Excelsior. of the giant pod pundit with Jay Severin. So where do we stand now? A lot of us believe, and by the way, this podcast is later than I had expected. I really wanted to do it last night, uh, an hour or two after the debate when I could read my own notes and you know just soak it in. But I was like many stymied by the sort of car wreck that didn't happen last night and that is to say is it status quo ante is this groundhog day it might as well be wednesday because nothing really happened a lot of us believe that thursday night's debate was a nothing burger because no knockout punches were landed everyone behaved like themselves you know boring i said the uh, day of the debate, that all of the polling thus far could be wiped out last night. It was not. All of the crappy polling done in the last six months is still crappy and current, such as it is. In fact, it is well worth mentioning that the answer to the question, okay, so who really won Thursday night? Who won? Well, who won wasn't on the stage. The winner of the most recent Democrat debate was Donald Trump. No meeting of the Soviet Politburo contained more raw socialism and promise of the open confiscation of people's income and guns. Pardon me. More intrusion by huge government into the personal lives of its citizens than did... Uh, the Democrats all grasp, embrace in that debate. Initial reports indicate this debate was considerably better watched than its predecessors. And unless you were a hardcore lefty, what you heard in terms of policy, and granted, you and I are not listening for policy, we're watching for a horrendous car wreck, at least I am, but anyone who noticed the policy bit would be absolutely shocked at this frank adoration, this frank embrace of socialism. As for the politics of the debate, ah, the politics, the bottom line is that every contestant gave their fans, however many or few, something to cheer about. The only audience that was disappointed uh, maybe were political assassins like many of us, Uh, with not so much a dog in the fight, but urgently hoping for some fight in one of these dogs. I know I was not alone in viewing the debate with the same expectation as those who regularly watch mixed martial arts matches. Blood and bone, baby! Blood and bone! But we did not get that. And as a result, the more things change, the more things stay the same, or so it seems. Now an extraordinary amount of attention will, naturally, 
be focused on the next Democrat debate. A couple weeks from now, almost exactly the way it was, you know, the, the expectation of the stakes for the next debate will be almost exactly like the way it is when the Powerball, like the Powerball's at 500 million and no, nobody wins and they double it, you know, until next time. The, then, then it becomes a big story. That will be true unless, unless, and this is something that warrants your consideration. Yeah, there'll be a next debate in a couple of weeks, and yes, we'll all be waiting for that moment of attack or submission or uh, senility, but the magic moment we're waiting to witness may not come via debate. And debate is one night out of, you know, 30, say, per month. You know, that thing we're waiting to see happen, that, that grotesque moment, could drop out of the clear blue campaign sky, which can and does happen. And it often does. You know, on what is expected to be a routine day, Biden, Warren, Sanders at all will be appearing at a routine campaign event giving their routine remarks and suddenly implosion boom most of us expected to be biden finally cursed by his one flew over the cuckoo's nest nutter moment which not merely revives doubts about his mental acuity but is so clear so gruesome a case of neurological impairment, however fleeting, that it all comes crashing down. But you just might as easily be looking at another uh, leader. You know, uh, most of us have no difficulty believing that old Bernie is capable of flipping his wig at the slightest or no provocation, as he demonstrated Thursday night. Bernie's Bernie's off his nut. He's snapped his twig. But somehow it's naturally Bernie, isn't it? So you never know, but the next time it could be, or this this one moment could be Bernie. Somehow I have difficulty imagining it being Elizabeth Warren. Do you? You know, especially as she is now, cloaked in her moderate outfit with her Trojan horse strategy. Uh, a socialist in moderates clothing said another way cross-dressing as as joe biden but elizabeth is so fairly tightly wrapped that elizabeth could pop as far as the others it would be a big story only to civics nerds such as we but a relatively small story in the overall national media coverage i mean if kamala harris and i use her as an example for a reason that is, she is far and away, to my mind, way most likely to lose her shite at any given moment. With an attempt, probably, at her peculiar, really uncomfortable brand of highly forced humor, driven by her own <laughs> cackle. Oh, yeah. Not only can I imagine Kamala producing an implosion, I predict she'll be the first. How about that?
But it still won't be that big a story in the general mainstream media landscape. And neither will it be certainly for any of the, or because of any of the other Democrat dwarfs. That is to say, they will end up having lived the life of a fruit fly. (laughs) Short and brutal. Their birth into presidential politics, heralded by no one. Their existence in that group, noticed by no one. And not even in their political deaths will they have the honor of dying in battle. Their demise will come quietly as a result of an empty bank account or an empty poll result. Poof! Whatever is it became of that guy, what was it, booty judge? So the equivalent of a self-inflicted mortal wound delivered during a national debate might easily otherwise occur on any given day between now and the next debate, perhaps more than one. Add to that the likelihood the next debate will have a different lineup. Yes, did you know that? Yes, a couple of names I haven't forgotten because I never knew them are angling to re-enter the debate uh, stage. And one more familiar face, one you and I have been discussing a lot on Twitter, is, yes, Tulsi. Tulsi Gabbard. She has more and more recently embraced positions especially vis-a-vis abortion. You know, she's, she's adopted the radical position that she's against murdering babies after they're born. Can you imagine that crazy woman? So she's embraced positions that have alienated her even further from the so-called progressive leadership of the Democrat Party. Add to that that she's, she loves the military, admires them and supports them, and our vets. Oh, and by the way, is a combat vet? There's nothing about her that says Democrat. I think this is no mistake. The Democrats don't want this stuff spoken of for obvious reasons. And enter Tulsi. To them, the fly in the ointment, the petunia, the onion in the petunia patch. And that is the point. They do not want Tulsi on that stage in further debates. But if she meets the party's own qualifications, she'll be there. And her mere presence there will be a very big story, yes? She will, at least until the debate starts, be a political rock star, except, of course, in her own party. Stay tuned on this one. We began this process several months ago and now have only a few months until the first Democrat primary. The debates will continue of course, to have a substantial impact on the campaign, uh, including, of course, the ever-present prospect of the hideous career-ending blunder. At any moment, and now to place a cherry on top of our most recent debate, cake, debate cake, ever had debate cake? A few particular words about each of the candidates as they still exist as of Friday afternoon, the day after. Let's take a look at yesterday, today, and tomorrow. We'll start with Joe Biden. It's about time we did a recap. Where were we? Where are we? Where are we going? Asked and answered as follows. Joe Biden, I will stand by a tweet of mine midway through the debate last night, which in effect said, Biden entered the debate as frontrunner. He'll finish the debate as a frontrunner by any uh, meaningful gesture thereby. Biden won the debate, and he did. That's the math. In fact, Biden not only didn't hurt himself, 
and won the debate. He helped himself considerably because everybody knows the long knives were out for him, that everyone was waiting for that awful moment where he implodes. Everyone was waiting for him to go total nutter, and he beat all expectations in each category. He was, he was tightly wound. He was not excellent. He was not even very good, but he was certainly good enough on that stage with those opponents last night. It's the best he has been. It's probably the best he has ever been. He picked a good time to do it. In fact, if he can avoid, if Biden can avoid a new gaff fest in the days between now and the next debate, the oppo- his opponents in media will stop beating the crazy Joe drum. The danger remains, but he has earned better billing as of that performance last night. Biden won by not losing. I want to be clear, as I said, I don't think Biden was very good last night. He was good enough, though, clearly good enough to prevail. Biden won by not losing. Biden won by beating expectations. That is the timeless calculate, the timeless calculus on uh, grading a debate. You go into that debate knowing where someone is or what their problem is. When they come out of the debate, where are they now? And have they exacerbated the problem or have they mitigated the problem? Biden won last night by not losing. In fact, more precisely, Biden won last night by not losing it. Elizabeth Warren. Look, Warren is who she is, except she's not. Anyone expecting a personality transplant will be disappointed, but for her, you know, unspectacular is the key to her current co-leadership position, or at least what I believe to be her co-leadership position, in fact. She has, we specifically, we specifically predicted weeks ago, embraced a Trojan horse strategy, that is, dressing up her hard socialism in a nice, soft persona of moderate. And it's working for her, as also we predicted. Well, since we're throwing around predictions, here's one. Warren's co-leadership, a notion promoted by myself, among others, was based a lot on instinct, not polls. There are no polls that show Elizabeth Warren tied with or ahead of Joe Biden. In fact, the average average of polls worth looking at, some of them private, most of them public, in the last uh, several months, indicate that, that Biden is still has that solid chunk of circa 33%, which is always his, and... Um, Another phenomenon, which I've mentioned uh, starting months ago, was that watch and see if each of these polls doesn't have Biden and Warren. If you combine their vote totals, it will equal what Biden, I'm sorry, what did I say? No, Warren and Sanders, forgive me, Warren and Bernie Sanders. If you combine their vote totals, it will total what Biden has. So, The notion that she is co-leadership is a notion promoted by me on instinct and experience. I'm watching where the polls go uh, before they go there. Uh, I've earned earned that right. So I want you to know if you claim, like I do, 
that Warren is a co-leader in this race. You don't have any evidence to back you up. What you have is the testimony of Guru Jay. Holy cow. So until a series of polls show Warren tied or ahead, Warren's status remains <coughs> debatable. Bernie. Bernie was hotter, redder, and closer to stroke than I've ever witnessed anyone in any political event. But it somehow continued to work. It continues to work for him. I believe that is because this is one Democrat candidate who is the true ideologue. He believes what he believes, which happens to be communism. He believes what he believes, has believed it and lived it all his life, and he ain't going to change it or even massage it slightly for you or me or anyone else. His base loves this about him, most likely because they are just like him. Sanders supporters are a bunch of mixed nuts and or students. Another bunch of nuts. So however seemingly unfit for prime time is Bernie's personality and delivery, it has worked for him. It still works for him, and I believe he is impervious to, not to criticism, no one's impervious to criticism, but I believe Bernie is impervious to harm by virtue of that criticism. Look at Bernie last night. I mean, he was, he was, he was out of his tree. He was off brand. He was, he was a crazy man last night. But because he's crazy like that all the time, people don't call it a gaffe. I mean, this is the irony of, of politics. So as long as he sticks to it and he sticks to his principles, he's going to have that core base until, until. See, I believe Bernie absolutely hit his ceiling a long time ago, like 2016. Bernie has an impressive share of voter support, but I believe he's never going to go up by a single vote from where he is now. Bernie has maxed out. It's not enough to win. In fact, I'm just awaiting the day on which Bernie supporters, because just too many polls, too many of them have seen too many polls that show Bernie unable to win. They finally decide they must throw in the towel and look at somebody else, split their votes among various candidates. It is too easy to make the mistake, which I have made, from time to time. It's too easy to make the mistake of assuming those votes go either to Warren or Biden. I didn't actually mistakenly say I thought that would happen. I, I used it as a model. You know, I said, let's presume that the, all the votes, you know, all the votes worth talking about, the lion's share, are split Warren-Biden. But that's a little too easy to say and ought not be said. I'm not going to say it anymore for the very reason that they are Bernie followers. They are also true believers. So I predict they will look for new love among some of the remaining, you know, and obscure candidates, like Kamala Harris, Beto, Castro. Uh-oh. In short, the clock is ticking on the last weekend at Bernie's. Kamala Harris, I must admit up front to you, I find Kamala Harris despicable. Everything about her. She's flip-flopped on everything she has ever believed in order to tailor herself for this campaign. 
Worse than refusing to defend it, she lies about it. No, I never did that. I did this. And this is an office for which she is manifestly unqualified. One might say disqualified. And on a matter of personal privilege, I also find her personality especially obnoxious, abrasive, arrogant. When she, oh, when she drops those corny zingers, as they are intended anyway, and then blows up the audio by yucking and snorting at her own lame joke. <laughs> her prospects for the nomination are, are moribund, in my view. And I've been expressing that for a while. That's because she seems to have earned no particular base at all. She is kind of a runoff drain. I don't mean a political runoff. I think of a glacier. You know, she's, she absorbs the melting support of other candidates and becomes a little stream. And as such, she will continue to work so long as her money holds out. Uh, and, 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 and there she be setting just like a spider hoping to make a quick jump onto someone's ticket as the vice presidential candidate. After the last debate, last night, in which I believe she hurt herself significantly, those are now two bad appearances by Kamala Harris, and last night I just found her to be particularly obnoxious. She doesn't belong up there. Now even the notion of VP stands very vague. If you hold Kamala Harris stock, sell, sell. O'Rourke. Beto fumbled his best, I believe, Beto fumbled his best chance when he found religion, quote-unquote. In this case, the religion was orthodox progressivism. He hates himself. He hates his fellow citizens. He hates his country. Everything about all of those groups are bad, bad, ugly, bad. This fellow is young, photogenic, said to remind many Democrats of Bobby Kennedy, which is a, like a religious plus in his party. And otherwise, for an unknown, he had it all going on. And believe me, having directed the campaigns of a lot of unknowns who became Big city mayor, governor, congressman, senator, plausible presidential candidate. It's okay. Unknowns. I love I love challenger races. Un- unknowns can be anyone they want you to think they are. And as cynical as that is, I, I realize it is, it's really not why they're so attractive as clients. They're attractive because they listen to you. And frankly, because, and this is the back half of that other cynical thing I said, they are impervious to negative attacks because they have no records. So they could talk about their vision, what they want to do, without anyone coming on 30 seconds later and slamming them for what? They, oh, yeah, you want to do that? And then how come you did the opposite for 20 years? In this case, in this case, in this case. Well, Beto O'Rourke more than anyone I can remember in 20 years in politics, had it all going for him as a sexy unknown, peaking when he appeared on the cover of the magazine Vanity Fair, the monthly left-wing culture guide 
um, about the rich and famous. Without prejudice to that audience, as a political operative, I saw this, this perfect way to market this particular candidate at this particular time. I believe Beto might have gone a lot further, but unlike some of the other candidates, I do not believe that this was a useful trial run for him for the next presidential campaign. It ought to have been, but it isn't. Somehow Beto snapped and found himself begging for forgiveness, begging for forgiveness for his country, his fellow citizens, and himself. Beto's begging for forgiveness on The View. Forgiveness for all the things that made him special and sexy. He begged forgiveness for being on the cover of Vanity Fair. Any candidate would cut off at least a finger for that opportunity. But he cried and got on his knees on The View and begged forgiveness for the special things that make him sexy. Um, And he was perhaps headed to be one of those quick, massively regrettable Jimmy Carter mistakes about which the country finally wakes up one morning and wonders, how in the heck did this happen? Our president is who? Beto, you might have been a contender, but you are not and you won't be. You managed to turn all your assets into being an ass hat, which is all good because photogenicity aside, you really are a tool. Cory Booker, another guy who has seemingly underperformed acutely. He had the promise. He checks virtually all the right politically correct, the PC boxes, with Yale Law School and Rhodes Scholar thrown in for good measure. As with Beto, from a strictly politically marketing standpoint, it's as if The Rock ran for president. But Booker squandered this this natural talent by being yet another who was just not ready for prime time. Last night is who he is. He fumbles for a feel of the moment, a feel for the campaign, and, and his essential message. He doesn't know what it is, so I don't know what it is. The most positive thing I could say about Booker is that if he rethinks things and spends a couple of years in double-A ball, he just might have a national political future. Then again, so could 45 different people who pop up whose political experience is limited to uh, Walmart assistant manager uh, at the circus, to name only a couple of possibilities. Who knows which nutty backgrounds we will think recommends a presidential candidate by the time 2024 rolls around. Pete Buttigieg. Mayor Pete uh, was and is, in my view, an utterly ridiculous prospect just by virtue of his so-called qualification, quote-unquote. Though he may not be the very least qualified candidate, I'm confident I am not alone in simply being offended by the notion that the mayor of Gary, Indiana, can just decide, bingo, to run for president of the United States. And expect nobody to be troubled by this? I am, but that's another debate for another day. Mayor Pete is courageous in terms of breaking public barriers for gay people. I admire him for that. He's done it with aplomb. He also has impeccable scholastic 
credentials and and yeah, barely served in the military for 10 minutes. He's particularly poised and well-spoken, but a president of the United States, he is not. Not yet. Especially once he started moralizing and went from Mayor Pete to Father Pete. Ironically, for him, he's the one preaching. Papa, don't preach, please. What happens to Mayor Pete? In terms of his personality, qualifications, and ambitions, I believe it's a perfectly sound idea to consider him someday, in the near future even, for Postmaster General. Castro. And there are his qualifications. Castro. What made Julian Castro decide he was a POTUS in waiting? Well, considering the PC madness that dominates the Democrat Party, he isn't totally insane on this. Look at the boxes he checks. Proper, desirable skin hue, surname, first name, family, ethnicity, and last but not least, major geographical assets. That is, he hails from the traditionally Republican but dangerously leaning toward Democrat, crucial state of Texas. Nota bene, for someone you have just heard smashing qualifications. Really, for someone you've just heard smashing qualifications for what someone could bring to the vice president position on the Democrat ticket. Julian is certainly not going to be president. Not now. So he will be available if somebody calls. This is another candidate I find uh, obnoxious and smarmy uh, per last night. Everyone noted, as we did uh, instantaneously via Twitter, that an attack on Joe Biden, I mean, waiting for Joe Biden to have his nutter moment is perfectly reasonable. But trying to openly force him into it is another matter. There's still a considerable reservoir of goodwill for Joe Biden because of his record as a liberal Democrat for 40 years and also as Obama's VP. Black voters are wildly for Joe Biden. I just say here, I don't want to get off the topic, but one of the things that, one of the ironies and one of the pains for Biden is that African-American voters swoon for Joe Biden. They're for him like two and three to one over the other candidates. But he has to wait all the way until South Carolina to meet them. Because first he competes in the absolutely critical primaries, caucuses, what have you, of Iowa, which doesn't immediately pop to mind when you're thinking about the black vote, and then New Hampshire, where the black vote is like 0.0001% of the population. So Biden's strongest core base doesn't exist in the first two primaries. He's got to wait until South Carolina. Anyway, last night you saw an open attempt to provoke Biden in a really clumsy way. 
Castro really tried to push him into it. Oh, you don't remember? You don't remember? You just said that two minutes ago. Are you telling me you don't remember something you just said two minutes ago? Castro said, I mean, I hurried it here for our purposes, but Castro said all those words, including the sentence, are you telling us you don't remember something you said two minutes ago? That was so naked, so raw, so open, that in any case, no matter who it was, there would have been a lot of people who were uneasy about that kind of ad hoc attack. But Biden supporters were especially offended by it. And even the people in the room, and again, I want to take a sidebar here, even the people in the room were offended by that. And, point of personal privilege, sidebar, the people in the room last night were black. I have for 25 years been railing against presidential debates with audiences. Every human being in the world acts differently with an audience in the room, if it's three people or 3,300 people, and or a camera in that room, everybody behaves differently, period. And when the audience is allowed to moan, groan, cheer, guffaw, uh, yell, go girl, and, and all in the middle and, and, and cackle and everything else, this affects the debate. The contestants must consider this as a factor in the debate, just like camera angles and audio levels and what points they want to hit that night. If they are, if they are instantly cheered uh, for a considerable time by the audience, that makes the cut. That goes into the clip that runs on all news all over the world, and it looks like they won the debate or at least they were, they were really good. That could be 10 seconds of the debate. Correspondingly, if you F up in the debate or do anything that the audience doesn't like, and this is where we start to get to my real and more controversial point, not only ought there be no audiences in the presidential debates, and we get them and them only so that we don't get this turned into a game show which last night, especially in the first 45 minutes, this was the gong show. This was not a, an American presidential debate. And one of the reasons for that is it was before an audience of college kids, mostly. And, and here's the controversy, if I haven't hit it already, almost all of those kids were African American. I have no inherent objection to that. As a statistician, uh, such as it is, I have a deep, I have a deep uh, objection to it. African-American students represent about 3% of the American population. If you put together, if you do the, the math here, uh, simple so that I can understand it, if you put together the math here and realize that uh, audiences do affect debates, period. And thus, the... The, the sentiments of a particular audience, if it happens to be not truly mixed, if the audience has a sort of a central premise or a central set of values, then the audience acts almost as one voice in affecting the debate and, and the candidates. Now, you add to that the fact that you had an audience with an agenda, 
And that agenda represents like 3% of the American population, young African-American college students. Is that appropriate? I mean, if, if, the, if the debate last night had been held before the Knights of Columbus, would not have people bitched about that and said, well, you know, the Knights of Columbus don't speak for me. I mean, they really shouldn't be doing the debate in front of a group with a particular agenda uh, or, you know, fixed set of sentiments. I just mention it for the purposes of discussion. I think audiences are wrong, and I think, like, an audience of only NRA members would be wrong, and I think an audience of, um, of Black Lives Matter members would be wrong, and I thought last night's audience was wrong, and the audience was wrong. Anyway, I think Castro's, return to Fidel here, I believe Castro's attack on Biden, uh, smarmy, in addition to inappropriately handled, badly played, it was smarmy, and he's smarmy. So Julian is not going to be president. He'll be home if you call for VP. One last thing about Julio, Julian, I wouldn't trust him to walk my dogs, which to me is a very serious matter and hence a very serious flaw. I wouldn't trust him with my doggies. In any case, Fidel Castro's illegitimate son should unfortunately hang around for vice president this time or not implausibly the top job next time. He won't be any more of a leader. I just fear we may be more of a PC disaster by then. Until then, if you're looking for us, it's uh, me and Julian down by the schoolyard. Klobuchar, thanks for coming. Glad you could be here. Did I miss anything? I'm sorry, who are you again? Other than her politico-geographic credential, that is, she is from a crucial electoral college Midwest swing state region. Amy Klobuchar is without portfolio, utterly without portfolio. You will never hear of her again, nor, frankly, thought you have heard of her even this time. Oh, oh, in fairness, she does have one other qualification I ought to mention. She is the only living person who does a strikingly persuasive impersonation of the very old vaudeville then film actress, Thelma Ritter, R-I-T-T-E-R, Thelma Ritter. Most um, of us have no idea who she is, but if you can Google her and possibly find some audio of her, it is the ghost of Amy Klobuchar. And ghost is exactly the right term here. Not scary, but departed. Yang, the Yangster, reminds me of an Obama type you know, maybe 20 years before reaching some kind of maturity. I have the feeling we're seeing the very young Yang, young Yang, and the formulation in real time of his political persona, which is is, very interesting to, to behold. The problem is we don't know where he's going to end up. And all indicators suggest his final position will be to the left of Bernie, only like crazier. Uh, Notabene, see his free money for everybody plan. 
Yang is the money store, only he doesn't talk about who pays for it. This makes him an absolute darling to all voters left of Sanders, both of them. But this is a fellow who will benefit uh, from several more years of evolution and training before he could ever make a serious run. He may not find in a couple of years that politics is for him. He may be too smart for it, if you know what I mean. I mean, I really mean it. Yang could be the next Bill Gates. I, I don't know. Maybe, he, maybe politics won't be for him. Maybe he will find that buying a presidency is more a pleasure to him than being president. In any case, until Andrew Yang finds his perfect running mate, don't count on any time soon having the opportunity to vote for the yin and yang ticket. Ouch. Well, I believe that's everybody, and if I missed anyone, no one will notice anyhow, which is pretty much, in sum, where we are with this race right now. Even though the numbers may look largely the same when they come in, I would argue that our, uh, our conversation, this conversation, puts the lie to the glib notion that uh, nothing happened Thursday night. It changed nothing. That's dead wrong. Something always happens at a presidential debate. There is always residual effect. Things always change because of the very nature of politics. If all the candidates went to Iceland for the next 30 days and went into a total news blackout, and incidentally, I've been blacked out in Iceland many, many times. I recommend it. Seriously, were all the candidates to disappear for one month, things would still change because our perception of them would change. The issues would change around them. They would become more urgent, less urgent. Taxes would become more important than the climate. I'm just, I'm just picking these out of thin air. You know, the climate would become more important than the economy. And, you know, A would become more important than B. And this would affect our perception of them, which would change. It is not so much today, but, you know, it's not so much them changing every day, but we who change the campaign every day via our perceptions and opinions. And last I heard, no one had scheduled my return visit to Iceland. How about you? How about you consider joining us on Twitter as often as you can? I am at Giant Pod Pundit, where 12 hours a day, I am joined by the best and brightest, and we are lurking to speculate and comment. Where 12 hours a day, I am lurking to publish my evolutions and remarks on all matters civic and some just cheap yucks. I will see you there now. Thank you for your attentions here, now, until next, soon. I'm Jay Severin, Excelsior.